Good morning. We are fully into the Christmas season. How's your attitude so far? Are you feeling the love or are you just feeling the pressure? It can kind of go either way. It's sort of like the children's, you know, winter holiday program. You know, you can't call it Christmas anymore because that's just way too offensive. But at one part of the show, four children had large cardboard letters to flip over and to spell out the word star. Uh, The teacher lined them up backstage, but then she marched them out in reverse order so that when they flipped over their cards, uh, their letters spelled out the word rats. You know, that brings a whole different attitude to the season. We are pulled in many different directions trying to, you know, meet all the demands placed on us during the holidays. And we may long for a quiet country Christmas for serene snow-covered hills and mugs of hot cocoa. But that doesn't often match up with reality. And people can feel frantic just trying to keep it all together. And I think that's okay because there is this this extra pressure at Christmas because the first Christmas was definitely a pressure cooker. This morning we're going to look at the pressures faced by Joseph and how it took an angelic visitation to help him sort it all out. And maybe we can learn a few things from him on how to handle the pressures that we face. Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, if you'd like to follow along. Let's hear God's word together. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. Thanks be to God, for this is his holy word. Joseph stood at a crossroad. He faced what you might call a defining moment that would affect the course of the rest of his life. Joseph had a pregnant fiance, and he knew he wasn't the baby's father. What am I going to do about Mary? That's the question that plagued him. He was at a fork in the road, and once he chose a path, there would be no going back. It was the kind of decision that cut him right down to the bone and kind of opened him up to look deep inside his own soul, to look at himself, his true self, and answer the question, what kind of man am I? What kind of life am I going to lead? Am I going to run from problems or face them squarely? Am I going to follow through on my commitments or take the easy way out? What am I going to do? Have you ever faced a a decision like that? I mean, a real fork in the road. Uh, Men and women, we both face these defining moments. 
But man, I want you to really listen particularly this morning because this is a man's story. And stereotypically, men have a harder time making commitments, sticking with commitments, especially in relationships. The ability to make and keep commitments often defines a man's life. Have you ever had a defining moment when you had to decide what kind of person you were going to be? I mean, most of us don't like to make these kinds of life-altering decisions. No, we like to keep all our options open. We don't like to commit too soon to anything. We like to see how things are going to play out before declaring, you know, which side we're on. And then we hope there's always, you know, a loophole, an excuse, an escape clause, you know, a rationalization that you can pull out of your hip pocket just in case you need it. Folks, we are all infected with the way of the world, with sin. And the world's way is to always follow the path of least resistance. Whatever seems easiest at the time, whatever seems to cause me the least pain, the least inconvenience, our our sinful hearts tend to go in that direction and to follow that impulse. And the scripture says that was Joseph's first impulse, to take the easy way out, to divorce Mary quietly and sort of wash his hands of the whole situation. But he didn't act on his first impulse, and that's very important to see. He doesn't just react. He takes time to think about it. And that's so important when making this kind of a life-altering decision. Matthew says he considered all this. The Greek word there means, means deep reflection. Deep reflection. What he, whatever he was going to do wouldn't just be some knee-jerk reaction. Well, what do you think went through his mind? Well, for Joseph the clock was ticking. I mean, Mary would not be able to keep her pregnancy secret for long, and then what would he do? The scripture doesn't give us any information about the conversation that took place between Mary and Joseph when she told him she was pregnant. But it's easy to imagine that it didn't go very well. I mean, you can think of the shock, his mind kind of reeling at the news that she was pregnant. You know, Joseph maybe trying to keep his anger in check, trying to hear what she was saying when he knew he was not the father. So right away he faced the pressure of a shattered dream. The life that he thought he was going to have with Mary just crumbled. I'm sure up to that point he was filled with all the excitement of a young man in that culture, you know, waiting for his wedding day. She was a beautiful young woman with a, with a deep faith in God. He was probably head over heels excited at the prospect of marrying her. What a lucky guy. I mean, everybody said so. Joseph was looking forward to, to a simple life with this woman of his dreams. I mean, he had a, had a kind of a predictable future. He wasn't a landowner or a rabbi or a soldier. He was just an ordinary Joe a carpenter by trade, a construction worker. He wasn't ever going to be rich, but through hard work he'd have a stable income and he'd be able to provide for his family. All he wants to do is to get married, settle down, raise a family with Mary. But she comes to him with this news, pregnant. God made you pregnant and you expect me to believe that story? I mean, I give you points for originality, but, but I am nobody's fool. And as a man, you have to imagine the anger, the, the sense of betrayal, his, his male pride wounded, his dream of life with Mary suddenly shattered, and he kind of could feel his future 
slipping through his fingers like a handful of desert sand. Then there's the pressure from his family and friends. I mean, the Jewish custom was that a marriage was really a two-step process, the engagement or betrothal, and then the actual wedding. But breaking the engagement was no simple thing. Breaking an engagement also required a legal divorce. So they would, if, if they split up, it would be a very public scandal. What will my parents think? How will I explain this to my brothers, my sisters, my cousins? What am I going to tell my friends? Everyone is going to have an opinion. I mean, you can hear what his guy friends would say. They'd say, walk away, Joe. There are other fish in the sea. Dump her. After what she did to you, you deserve better. That's always the world's advice on relationships. Do whatever is going to make you happy. If the going gets tough, get out. Give up. Follow that impulse. Your happiness is all that matters. You know, I've talked before about how there are three kind of big A's that destroy trust in a marriage relationship. Adultery, abuse, and addictions. Those are the big three most common things that break the covenant of marriage, but often they're preceded by three smaller A's, anger, avoidance, and apathy. But for Joseph, adultery was the only possible explanation for the situation. So he would have been justified in leaving Mary. No one would fault him for that. But we discover that this ordinary Joe isn't so ordinary. He's a man of character. He wasn't interested in shaming her. He wasn't interested in compounding Mary's problems by going public with the information. He could have publicly accused her of adultery. He could have even demanded that she be stoned to death. That would have been his right under the law at the time. Remember in John chapter 8 when a woman was dragged before Jesus by the Pharisees and charged with adultery? They had the rocks in their hands ready to stone her to death. But that's not what what Joe wanted. No, he just wanted to avoid any further scandal. He preferred the option to try and divorce her quietly. But he decided to sleep on it. And this situation needs an angelic visitation in order to set things right. So God comes to Joseph in a dream through an angelic visitation, and he made his will clear. Not every dream is a message. I hope you know that. Not every impulse is from God. That's why we're told in 1 John 4, chapter 1, to test the spirits, to see if something really is from God, and to distinguish you know, between what might arise from you know, our own imaginations or from our own uh, normal dream patterns. But this angel makes it very clear to Joseph, God's the one who impregnated Mary. And God's plan is a go, whether Joseph signs on or not. I mean, Mary was pregnant, so the train had left the station. Either Joseph got on board, or Mary would be a single mom. We understand that Mary was a woman of profound and great faith. A lot of people focus on that. But we also need to recognize the tremendous faith of Joseph. We need to realize that God entrusted the raising of Jesus to a very godly man. The main point that I want us to see this morning is that in facing all his pressures, Joseph surrendered his will to the will of, the, of God. He surrendered his dreams to, to God's higher purposes. He surrendered his happiness, his relationships, his family, his friends, his future. They all took second place 
to his relationship with God. And this is so contrary to the world's way of thinking. No, our world would say, put yourself first. Put yourself at the center of everything. Everything else needs to revolve around you and your needs and your idea of happiness. Whatever you want, that trumps everything else. We have to fight against the increasing pressure to believe that a person's main responsibility is to themselves alone, rather than a commitment to purposes that are larger than self. To be only committed to yourself is to serve a very small, very pathetic God. But to find your purpose in the Lord is to find your true self and what you were really made for. You sync up your purposes and direction of your life with God's will and God's plan. And then that affects the real decisions that you make. So Joseph faced one of life's most difficult questions. What does it mean to be a godly man? A godly man. There's always been the sense that men have to prove that they are real men. But unfortunately, too often, masculinity has been detached from the main roles God's designed men to play. David Blankenhorn, in his really great book, Fatherless America, writes this. He says, in a good society, men prove their masculinity not by killing other people, impregnating lots of women, or amassing huge fortunes, but rather by being committed fathers and husbands. When our definition of masculinity gets detached from those roles, it does become violent, predatory, irresponsible. In other words, faithful marriage and responsible fatherhood help men to be real men. But the idea of being a good man, a good father, is denigrated almost everywhere in our culture. You can't hardly find a positive depiction of a father on any TV show or movie or in our cultural heroes. Fathers are mocked and ridiculed or seen either as idiots or abusers. And so instead of trying to promote healthy, godly fathering, what gets celebrated is the guy who beds a lot of women and fathers a lot of children by so many different women. And then who walks away. We even have social policies that encourage and reward such behavior. We see the negative effects of this every day in our culture. Fatherlessness is the most harmful social trend in our country. Men who do not take responsibility for their children and do not provide for their children financially or emotionally. Not just the physical absence, but the emotional absence of dads has devastating consequences on children. Whether it's the perpetual cycle of poverty or crime or drug abuse or sexual abuse or depression. I mean, pick any problem. I'm willing to bet that you can trace the root of it back to men not playing their proper role as loving fathers. But Joseph had a commitment to something greater than himself. His faith in God and his love for Mary. And once the decision was made to stay with Mary, his problems were not over. The pressure was still on, not only the pressure of a radically altered dream for his life or the pressure of his family and friends, but he also faced sexual pressure. The scripture says Joseph kept Mary a virgin until after Jesus was born. They didn't consummate their marriage until after his birth. And people talk a lot about the Virgin Mary. But they don't ever say much about the virgin, Joseph. Think about it. Joseph surrendered his normal, healthy, God-given sexual desire for his wife in order to accomplish God's higher purposes, 
in Mary's life, in the child's life, in his life, and in a sense for the entire world. Joseph controlled his sexual desires. Max Lucado writes, Joseph had to take cold showers for nine months so that the baby would be born of a virgin. Even his sexuality was submitted to God's will for his life. What a concept. He practiced sexual abstinence. That's also something almost unheard of in our day, controlling your sexual desires. Honestly, Christians, we have, we have lost the, bad, the cultural battle over biblical sexual morality. We have lost the idea of the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman and of godly male-female relationships. Our culture is quickly becoming more and more secular and even more pagan in its understanding and its practice of sexuality. And worse, many Christians take their lead for their own sexuality from the sexual, secular culture and not from Scripture and just act like you know, non-believers and then find some way to rationalize that they're still staying true to their faith. Personal sexual expression is our number one false god, a false idol that our culture worships without ceasing. But Joseph surrendered his sexual desires to God's will. And following Joseph's example in that way is absolutely revolutionary, radical, and countercultural in our day because he believed in something greater than himself, greater than his own sexual expression, greater than his own impulses. He believed the angel who announced God's good news contained in the unborn child. He shall save his people from their sins. In his book, Angels, Billy Graham wrote, Here is the gospel in all its beauty, simplicity, and purity. This is someone who can forgive sins. This is Jesus the Christ. In the midst of the wonder of the incarnation, we should not overlook the fact that the angel was bearing witness to the good news that Jesus was not coming simply as God, he was coming as Redeemer and Savior to make people right with God, with the Father, and to assure them of the gift of eternal life. And that's what our broken world needed and still needs, a Savior. So Joseph knew this was not some ordinary child. And consequently, he faced the enormous pressure of being a good dad to the Son of God. Not only did he choose to be a father to a child who was not biologically his own, he chose to take on the incredible responsibility of raising God's own Messiah. I mean, what man would ever feel adequate for that task? It's hard enough being a father to a normal family, but to know that you must protect and defend and care for and nurture God's one and only Son. That, that really boggles my mind. We all know the influence of fathers on their sons, for good or for ill. So think of the influence Joseph must have had on Jesus. You know, all we really know of Jesus' childhood is summed up in one verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Well, how did that happen? That's the father's role. That was Joseph's influence to be an example for Jesus. For Jesus who learned to walk and talk like every other human child who needed encouragement when trying something new, who needed comfort when he skinned a knee. He needed a role model to follow. Jesus learned the scriptures just like every other Hebrew child from his father. He learned to respect women from Joseph. He learned to treat people with kindness by watching his earthly father. He learned what true strength and what true integrity was from his dad. 
He learned honesty as he watched his father deal with customers. He learned perseverance from how Joseph handled problems. And most of all, Jesus learned to call God Abba, Daddy, from his relationship with his own earthly Abba, Daddy. What a model. What a tremendous tribute to Joseph's impact on his life. You know, we don't know when Joseph died. Sometime before Jesus began his public ministry. He never got to see Jesus perform any miracles or heal a blind man. He never heard Jesus preach a single sermon. But I bet you he took great pride in his son. I bet you he found great joy in watching this boy grow into a young man. I bet he cherished their long walks together through the Galilean hillside. The hours they spent, you know, just building things and tinkering in the carpenter's woodshop. The times they sat together by the fire in their home and just talked about life and everything else long into the night. I can imagine that when Jesus stood at Joseph's grave, he thanked his heavenly father with tears of joy for the earthly father who had raised him. Joseph faced a lot of pressure during that first Christmas. If you were to ask him later on, given the chance to reflect on all the sacrifices, all the worries, all the troubles, all the pressures he faced, it was it worth it? Was it worth it to follow God's will? Did he regret surrendering his desires to God's will? For Joseph, I think one look in the face of the young man Jesus was becoming, and he knew he would do it all again in a heartbeat. Folks, it is always hard a hard choice to follow God's will rather than your own. Everybody faces pressure. You can't escape that. Your pressures may be completely different from the ones Joseph faced. But your God is the same. And your temptation to compromise is the same. Do you use your pressure as an excuse for ignoring God and going your own way? Or do you use them as Joseph did, as opportunities to find out what you are really made of? Folks, be like Joseph, a man who who didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk in facing the toughest decisions any godly man could ever face. And it brought him great joy. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much just for the, the model and the example of Joseph. What a tremendous man he must have been. What an influence on our Savior he must have had. And so we honor him today, Lord, and may we honor him even more by living with the same kind of integrity and passion and commitment that he had in following you and surrendering our whole selves to you and to your will. Lead us in that way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.